All right, welcome back to the book of Exodus. Here we are studying lesson 29 today, Exodus 4 through 5. We just hammered out yesterday, Exodus 3, and the burning bush where Moses truly experienced his calling. He interacted with the Lord in probably one of the most unique interactions that we have in all of Scripture. And to help us continue the study of lesson 29, we brought in a new guy today. His name is Taylor Brandon. And Taylor, normally Taylor's editing the video, so you can thank Taylor for that. Taylor, that's the book of Exodus. What are they... What does Exodus mean? Exit. What, what are they exiting from? Um, Egypt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so they're exiting Egypt. Kevin, where are they headed? The promised land. The promised land. So that's what we're going to continue to study. And so if you guys would, let's go to the text today. In Exodus 4.1, Moses, he answered, What if they won't believe me and will not obey, but, but say, obey me, but say, the Lord did not appear to you? In other words, they're coming up with all these things, and he really knows that the Jews are always looking for a sign. The Jews are always looking for like a wonder that's going to basically affirm what is taking place. It's, Jesus even said they won't believe unless signs and wonders take place. Kevin, can you go to John 4, verse 48? And what I want to show is, is that in this process of these signs, we're going to get to three signs today. Jesus told them, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Moses is saying the same thing in Exodus. He's saying, well, if these people don't see something, they're not going to believe that God, you sent me. So in verse two of, of Exodus, uh, four, uh, Exodus four, verse two, the Lord said, okay, what is it that's in your hand? What is it that's in your hand? And he says a staff. And so, okay, so here's Mindy's painting. Okay, fine. Exodus four, he says, I need help because I don't think the elders are going to believe you. And God says, fine, I'm going to give you a staff. I'm going to help you deliver the people of Israel with a staff. Funny enough, in verse 3, Scripture says, then he said, throw it onto the ground. So Moses, he threw it onto the ground, and it became a snake. <laughs> and Moses, he ran from it. Like, whoa, I don't like this sign of wonder. I don't want one that's going to hurt me. Hello, God. In verse 4 of Exodus 4, 4, but the Lord told him, stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. <laughs> now look, guys, he just ran from the snake. And now all of a sudden he's saying, oh, by the way, I want you to grab the snake, man. Okay, sure. You know, yeah, right. So he stretched out his hand and he caught it. He caught it. And then instantly he says it became a staff in his hand. So the staff that was thrown on the ground, snake, he grabs it, becomes a staff again. And then verse five, this will take place. He continued so that they will believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So one of the signs, okay, one of the signs is, is that a staff is going to turn into a snake. They're going to see God in this situation. Scripture continues on in verse 6. It says, in addition, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. Okay, got it. So he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, his hand was diseased, white as snow. I'd be like, dude, I don't like this game, God. <laughs> Going to a snake all of a sudden, and now all of a sudden, hello, uh, leprosy. And then he said, put your hand back in. Yeah, absolutely. Put your hand back inside your cloak. He put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, it had become like the rest of his skin. Like, I think this is really cool. And this is also why the elders will believe in God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not because it's some crazy formula, not because it's some crazy magical show. God wanted to show up. And then in verse 8, Scripture continues on. <clears throat> if they will not believe you and will not respond to the evidence of the first, they may, don't you love this? They may believe in the evidence of the second sign. Okay, well, so here's the second sign. You got the hand to the cloak. And I would be like, hey, God, did you just say may? They, they, they may believe? 
<laughs> I'm not sure I like that one. But then in verse 9, you're going to get to the third sign that we're going to talk about in Exodus 4. If they don't believe even these two signs, the staff, the hand, the cloak, or listen to what you say, take some water from the Nile and pour it in onto the dry ground. Finally, nothing that's going to attack me. And the water you take from the Nile will become blood on the ground. So can you just picture this? Okay, I know I just saw the staff into a snake, and I know I just saw my hand go from disease to non-disease, but now I just want to go get some water from the Nile. The Nile, you guys, is the source of every water supply for, for everything. And I want you to take it, I want you to take water from it, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to turn into blood. And here's, here's Moses' response in verse 10. But Moses replied to the Lord, please, Lord. I've never been eloquent. Now, did, did the Lord tell him he needed to talk about it? He just said, go do it. And then Moses comes up with another classic ex- excuse. Okay, he says, I've never been eloquent, either in the past or recently, or since you've been speaking to your servant. In other words, like right now. <laughs> I'm not good then, today, or I, I don't have no chance. I'm slow and hesitant in speech. And so Wearsby comes up with another excuse He just says, I'm not a fluent speaker. Moses is focusing on himself, not on the Lord. He he lost his focus on the water into blood. That wasn't even an issue. He was more like, I don't don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know how I'm going to talk. And so the focus became about him, not about the Lord. And Warren Wearsby says this, and I want to know what you guys think about this because I'm intrigued about this. It says, true humility or attitude of pride isn't thinking poorly of ourselves, which that's what Moses appears to be doing. It's simply not thinking of ourselves at all, but making God everything. You know, sometimes we don't do things because we don't want to look bad. How many times have we already talked about the first week of doing Genesis, right? The first week of Genesis, like, you know, some of it was pretty rough. The reality is, is that it still might be getting rough, but that's okay. And so I think Fight through these excuses is what Moses has to do. So if you would, Kevin, go to verse 12. and No, I'm sorry, verse 11. Verse 11, this is the excuses that he's coming up with. But then the Lord said to him, I love this. Um, who made the human mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? In other words, I made your mouth, you're fine. Verse 12, now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. I love this, you guys. And I'm just going to tell you, get on my soapbox here just for a quick second. I believe it's the lamest excuse when people say, I don't know what I'd say to people uh, talking to people out on the streets. I don't know what I'd say at work about the Lord. I'm telling you, what you're saying is the Holy Spirit's not adequate then to speak through your life. I don't buy that excuse of you saying, well, I don't know what to say. Then you're just saying the Spirit of God is not powerful enough to speak through you because that's what Moses is doing. I'm not a fluent speaker. God said, I made your mouth. And so it's so clear to me that God wants to speak through his people and the church has stayed quiet for too long. We're not seeing a move of God because we're coming up with all these excuses. I can't talk. Only the pastor can talk. That's a lie from Satan. And the problem is, is we've allowed one person to say they can only talk. Folks, the reality is in Ephesians 4, all of us are equipped to do this because the spirit of your father is speaking through you. And I know that Moses is actually an incredible speaker. And I know that he was clothing this pride with, with this weakness junk. And it wasn't true because in Acts 7, Kevin, if you can go there, Acts 7, verse 22, we know that Stephen, in his martyrdom speech, Stephen very clearly describes Moses' words. And he says, so Moses was educated in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians. So Moses, you can't pull the educated card. That doesn't work. 
And oh, by the way, Moses, it says that he was known centuries year later, was powerful in his speech and actions. Come on. Wouldn't that be an incredible description of your life? Oh yeah, you were powerful in your speech and actions. He didn't just talk about it. He did it. But he didn't just do it. He talked about it. It was an awesome talk and walk. And Moses in Exodus 4 comes up with this lame excuse. And so this is his last excuse that he comes up with in Exodus 4. And Warren Wearsby says it well. Moses says, somebody else. And don't we all think this? Somebody else can do it better. But what happens is, is that when you don't do what the Lord says, you're starting to mess with, I'm going to say the word fire. Kevin, can you go to Luke 6, verse 46? You know, I have to ask, do you you really think Moses really wanted somebody else? Or is it just this conversation piece? And Luke, Luke 6, 46, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then don't do the things I say? What that does to me is it categorizes a, a line that Warren Wearsby says. He says, if God isn't Lord of all, he isn't Lord at all. I love that statement. If God isn't Lord of all, he isn't Lord at all. You, you can't make him into a compartment. And we do that in the American church all the time. Oh yeah, you be Lord of my life on Sunday mornings. Praise the Lord. But come Monday, you're a jerk at the water cooler at your office. Or come Tuesday, you know, you're going out to lunch and you have no desire to talk about the Lord. Look, Lord of all means all seven days. And when he calls you to something, it means he's calling you to something. So now, Kevin, if you'll go back to Exodus 4, 14, now you have Moses, who is the deliverer, who's going to point everybody to Yeshua. He's going to get them. He's going to Exodus, Taylor, that was for you. He's going to exit from Egypt into the promised land. And he's saying, Moses... I'm sick of you. (laughs) Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, isn't Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And also he is on his way now to meet you. He will rejoice when he sees you. In other words, I've got a game plan, Moses. I already knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to complain and you're going to whine. Even though God's an angry God in this situation, Exodus 34, 6, the scripture just says, but remember you guys, he is very slow to anger. Yahweh's compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and rich in faithful love and truth. He doesn't want to express his anger. He's slow to anger because he wants us to get it. But there are times he's going to pull the anger card. And he pulls the anger card out. How? By saying, fine, I will let Aaron become your, your speaker. I will let Aaron, your brother. Now, Taylor, let's do this. will be a good one. Taylor, who's older, Aaron or Moses? Moses. Kevin? Aaron. Kevin, how old is, how much older is Aaron? Three years. Wow. Kevin is like, call you doctor. <laughs> Boom. Now, here's something. You know, when we talk about the fivefold ministry, okay, in Ephesians 4, you don't have to go there, but Ephesians 4, we talk about the apostles, the prophets, the pastors, the evangelists, and the teachers. We talk about these five, okay? What we're going to start seeing is an interesting blend, though, of a priest and a prophet starting to work together. It's an interesting dynamic. I'm not going to say it works well, and I'm not going to say that's how God designed it. But in this case, this is where you have a mixed priest. I don't know if you want to call him a pastor. I'm not saying that. But you get my point, how there's different roles that they're starting to blend. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. So in verse 15, Scripture says this, You will speak with him and tell him what to say. Do you know how hard it is to deal with translation and interpreters in cities? You talk 
then the Russian person speaks. Or in Israel, I remember I had to speak in, in English, and then there was a Russian interpretation, and then there was an, uh, a Hebrew interpretation. You know how long that takes? You speak with your brother, and you tell him what to say, and I help both of you and him to speak, and he will teach you both what to do. And so there's this process of trusting the Lord as this unfolds. And so, uh, <laughs> uh, Jeremiah 1-6, Kevin, you named your son after one of the major prophets, uh, Jeremiah. And Jeremiah 1-6, I love this because it seems to be, a lot of us have this initial response. Oh no, Lord God, look, I don't know how to speak since I'm only a youth. In Judges 6, Gideon claimed that he was from the weakest clan. In 1 Samuel, Saul was from the smallest tribe. And so you have this response of we're never adequate enough. But in verse 16, uh, as it continues on, Aaron, of uh, Exodus 4, he'll speak to the people for you. He'll be your spokesman and you will serve as God to him. Scripture continues on. And take this staff in your hand that you will perform the signs with. Now, that's the whole backdrop. Okay, you're going to have a staff. I'm now going to take you. And oh, by the way, now you got to take your brother. <laughs> so now you got a staff and a brother and you're going to do the staff into the serpent. You're going to do your hand into the cloak. And oh, by the way, water is going to turn into blood. Now, as this, this is going on, okay, the deliverer is being sent. Okay, right? That's a good, that makes sense. The deliverer who God has called, <laughs> who came up with all of these excuses. He's, this is my staff right here. He's got his plan and he's going, here he goes. Okay. Now in verse 18, then Moses, he went back to his father-in-law Jethro and he said to him, please let me return to my relatives in Egypt and see if they are still living. You guys, you understand this. He's, he's lived now for 40 years in this environment. And now he's, he's going to go back. And Moses, his father-in-law says, yeah, absolutely. I bless you. Go in peace. When you think about the father-in-law and son-in-law interactions, what's the one that didn't go so well? Do you remember we talked about this in Genesis? Laban and Jacob. Laban and Jacob. What did Jacob do? He didn't tell him. So at least Moses has the courage Hey, by the way, um, but look what he says, though. Let me return to my relatives and see if they're still living. Doesn't mention anything about the signs. Doesn't mention anything about the staff. I'm taking my brother. He just says, can I go say hi to my family? In verse 19, now in Midian, the Lord told Moses, okay, return to Egypt for all the men who wanted to kill you are dead. Man, there's so much here, you guys. Oh my goodness. Like, this is the same imagery of, of Christ. The same imagery of, hey, the death of Herod has opened the door uh, for Jesus to leave Egypt and now go back to Palestine, to go back to Israel. So like, it's, it's this flipped. Moses is going back to Israel. Jesus was then told he, he could go. And so like, to go to Israel. And so it's just this cool image of either way, whether you're in Exodus 4 or Matthew 2, the threat is gone. I want you to go pursue what I've called you to do, and that is deliver my people. Walking out your calling is pretty special. He's finally had the courage. Yeah, he's come up with a list of excuses, but finally Moses has got the staff and he's, he's walking this out, you guys. 40 years of learning all of this stuff. And now God says, I want you to go And so it says in verse 20, Moses took his wife and sons. He put them on a donkey. (laughs) I don't know. Every time you say donkey, it's better than that than what Taylor probably wants to say. And he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took God's staff in his hand. He is obedient in bringing his staff. Like I would be like, dude, I can't wait to use this. Can't wait. 
And the Lord instructed Moses, when you go back to Egypt, make sure that before Pharaoh, you do all the wonders I put within your power, but I will harden his heart so that he won't let the people go. (laughs) Be like, this doesn't work for me. What do you mean? I just told you I'm excited. I got my staff. I'm ready to go. But now you're saying nothing. it's not going to work. Okay, watch. This is crazy to me. Okay, and just so you know, um, now let's keep going. In verse 22, then you'll say to Pharaoh, this is what Yahweh says, Israel is my firstborn son. Now, who's Israel in this context? Jacob. Jacob, but what else is this? Is it, it Are we talking about one person? Or are we talking now about a people group, right? So now he is saying, oh, by the way, in all of the world, in all of the people groups, Israel is the chosen one. Israel is the firstborn son. This is the best of the best. I mean, is that, wouldn't you say that's what he's saying there? So in all of the groups, this is the right one. And I want you to tell him that. And, I, and this is a cool image. Kevin, can you go to Jeremiah 31.9? Another same language of a major prophet just emphasizing Israel being the firstborn son. It says this, They will come weeping, but I'll bring them back with consolation. I will lead them to wadis filled with water by a smooth way where they will not stumble. For I am Israel's father, this is cool, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Now, Ephraim and Manasseh, right? The two sons, we know were then grafted into the 12, right? Under Joseph's lineage. And so here they're saying that Joseph is through Ephraim is now my firstborn, which is really Jacob. And so this cool image of like my firstborn and Hosea, you don't need to go there. Again, it's described as my son. Crazy enough, though, we know what's going to happen uh, as the story unfolds. In verse 23, I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go. Now I will kill your firstborn son. Moses is coming back to Pharaoh. He's now telling them Israel is the firstborn. And in that firstborn, Jesus is obviously in the lineage. And oh, because you're refusing to let all of this happen, your firstborn son, like we're not just talking about like uh, the firstborn animal. We're not talking about your servant's son. Oh, by the way, Pharaoh, I'm going to kill your, fir- your firstborn son. And that's it. That's the end of the story right there. But then when you go to verse 24, it takes this weird like sitcom twist. On the trip, after he's had this conversation with his brother, you know, he, he just talked to, to Pharaoh. <laughs> and on the trip at an overnight campsite, KOA. <laughs> like, it's just, it's weird, isn't it? An overnight campsite. Like, there was occupancy. Vacancy was available. It says, it happened that the Lord confronted him. Now, who's him? We've studied this. Moses. Moses. So, the Lord confronted Moses. And sought to put him to death. Is anybody else confused by all this stuff? I'm sorry. You just sent me, God, to Pharaoh. And I just told him I was going to kill his firstborn son. But now you're going to kill me at an overnight campsite? What did I even do? Like, this is how fun scripture is. You almost missed it because you read past one verse. Oh, man, this is crazy. So now watch this. Verse 25, so Zipporah took a flint cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet. Then she said, you're a bridegroom of blood to me. Let, Let me clarify what's all happened in verse 24 and 25. Moses had neglected to circumcise one of his son's, um, foreskins. 
Okay, that circumcision. You guys remember the covenant that was supposed to take place? If you can, um, Kevin, can you go to Genesis 17, verse 3 and 4? And I want to talk about how this covenant is established, okay? Then Abraham, Abram fell face down and God spoke with him. Verse 4, it says this, As for me, my covenant is with you. You will become the father of many nations. Okay, that's important. So the covenant is established through Abram. Kevin, go to verse 9 if you would. Verse 9 then says this, God also said, As for you, you and your offspring, after you throughout your generations are to keep my covenant. Keep my covenant. Covenant through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, it goes to verse 10. Watch this. This is my covenant, which you are to keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every one of your males must be circumcised. So this covenant that was established through Abram was actually exercised through circumcision through their sons. And in verse 11, scripture continues, you must circumcise the flesh of your foreskin to serve, watch this, as a sign of the covenant between me and you. This is crazy to me. Moses is complaining, the Jews, they they just want signs. Jesus says, everybody wants signs. And God says, fine, I've given you a sign to show that you're with me. And by the way, you messed up. You didn't even indicate that you're having a covenant with me and your sons. You forgot to circumcise what they think is probably the second son, Eleazar. Can't prove that for sure. but And so because, because of that, you're going to die, Moses. <laughs> Does anybody else find this story weird? Like, I'm sorry, we just had a burning bush experience. I just told you how you're going to deliver all my people. Ah, I'm going to kill you. Hello, God. Slow to anger. It's kind of crazy. This whole thing, this whole thing is crazy to me. And Zipporah is the one who saves the day. I don't know what happened, but I would just say, Eliezer, get in here. <laughs> and then she throws it at Moses' feet. I'd be like, whoa. Man, I'm withholding a whole lot right now, just so you know. (laughs) Oh my goodness. One commentator says this, Casuto said this, Zipporah removed God's judgment from Moses and restored him back to life and her again because of her obedience in the circumcision for her son. Isn't that crazy, you guys? You're going to bring blood to my hands, to my feet, to my family because of your disobedience. That lady is a strong woman. And I always say this, that my wife, you know, in, in any, any calling, the husband and wife have to be on the same page. And the wife Zipporah knew the covenant. Isn't that crazy, you guys? Zipporah saved the deliverer. Some lady that's hardly even mentioned in scripture. Poor Eleazar. (laughs) He's probably like, what just happened? (laughs) All right, man, there's so much there, but I think you get the point. We could unpack this, uh, but you have to be obedient. Kevin, I just, I want to go there just real quick. Go to 1 Timothy 3, verse 4. 1 Timothy 3, verse 4. When God uses somebody publicly, you have to be obedient to one at home. One who manages his own household competently, having his children under control with all dignity in verse five. If anybody does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? If Moses doesn't clean up his family, he's not adequate to call his people to his people. And so I think for me, this is an awesome picture of managing your household. 
And if you don't, I believe God withholds, yes, your calling in your life. You guys agree? Sure. I think so. Man, I tell you what, it's pretty wild. Verse 27 of Exodus 4. Now the Lord had said to Aaron, go and meet Moses in the wilderness. <laughs> so he went and he met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. Here you have brothers. Um, just so you know, Taylor, Aaron's older by three years. And so here you have these brothers and they come out and they kiss. That seems kind of weird, but in Romans 16, 16, Kevin, if you would, there's four references uh, that Kevin referenced uh, just in our break here. Uh, Romans 16, 16, uh, of a holy kiss. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send you greetings. And you know, that's something us English guys, hey, welcome back. It's not a whole lot of holy kissing going on here. In the Amish community though, uh, they do all the time. They they actually kiss on, on a cheek. I don't, I don't think they kiss on the lips. I don't know. Holy kiss though, right here. Let's just say it's right here for now. Brothers meet. They're excited to interact. They're inside, excited to, uh, to engage. Interesting enough, you guys, Aaron down the road, he's not perfect either. Remember the whole golden calf deal? Remember the whole him and Marion? They actually came against Moses at one point. And so like, he's using Aaron, but it's not like he's like, oh, here's the perfect guy. But they're brothers in this together. And in verse 28, and to wrap all of this thing up, Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say. Isn't this awesome? Hey, Aaron, by the way, you and I are into this together. <laughs> I signed you up. Yeah, it's great. I told God you're awesome. You can do this. No, I don't think that's how it went. But he did say, hey, um, this is what we're asked to do. And about all the signs he had commanded him to do. In verse 29, the brothers have a dialogue. The Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of the Israelites. And then Aaron, in front of everybody, he repeated everything the Lord had said to Moses and performed. Aaron performed the signs before the people. I think that's an interesting observation. He repeated everything that Moses was told from the Lord. And then Aaron performed the signs before the people. The staff, the hand, the cloak, the water into blood. Do you guys agree? Do you see that? That that's Aaron, not Moses? I think Moses got ripped off. It was his own fault. He said he couldn't do it, so he let somebody else experience it. I'm telling you, when you don't feel like you're adequate to do the Lord's work, he'll find somebody else. And that's the blessing that they receive. And you missed out. And I think, guys, if God's calling us to something, let's act it out. Don't be the Lord, Lord, I, I want to do something, but they never do it. And because of Moses and Aaron working together, in verse 31, the people believed, praise the Lord. And when they heard, remember I said they may believe, scripture says they do now believe. And when they heard that the Lord had paid attention to them and that he had seen their misery, the misery of what? The misery of that all that they, they've gone through, they bowed down and worshiped. I love this. Belief will always lead to bowing down. Belief will always lead to worshiping the Lord. And because of that, we're going to begin to unfold tomorrow of how this belief leads to a whole community being set free. Now, remember this in Exodus 5, okay? Uh, in Exodus 5, Kevin, can you just go there? Versus, just go to verse 1 real quick. I'm not going to teach on this, but Exodus 5, then it says... Then they began to do this. They walked in, they approached Pharaoh. Okay, so that's the backdrop. The elders believe, now they're approaching Pharaoh. And this is what they begin to unfold. And Pharaoh, he says three things. He paints a picture of chapter five. He says, Pharaoh says, why should I obey the Lord? And then in verses four through 21, he says, why, why should the work stop? 
<laughs> so why should I obey your Yahweh? Why should my work stop that your people are doing? And then uh, in verse um, 22, can you go there? Exodus 5, verse 22 and 23. Then, uh, and then all of a sudden Moses flips it and he says, God, why did you send me? So here's the interaction. Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to. I need the work. And then Moses says, why did you send me? And so tomorrow we get the opportunity to dig into Exodus 6. Love and appreciate you guys. Thanks for hammering this out. And I'm excited about unfolding more of how does the deliverer of Moses point to the deliverer of Yeshua. We'll talk to you tomorrow.